So we want to welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church. If you're just joining us now online, uh, we're glad you've come and uh, decided to worship with us this morning, uh, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in His image. Um, Remind you, there are folks, uh, if you have the live chat showing on your screen, there's folks available to you on there if you have questions, and uh, you can ask from them, and they can help you with that. Uh, This morning, we're continuing in this series on being unafraid. We're talking about attacking your anxieties with uh, actions. I'm going to show you just kind of a breakdown of this acronym. Uh, The first sermon we did was facing your fears with face, faith, and last week we did examining your assumptions in light of the facts. Uh, This week we're going to be talking about attacking your anxieties with actions. And uh, next week, uh, Sherry actually will be preaching about releasing your cares to God. Um, So we're going to talk this morning about attacking your anxieties with actions. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit that I I have a little anxiety about this sermon. So uh, one, the word attack to me is a little hostile sounding. And uh, and so that concerns me a little bit. But uh, also know that uh, this is one of those areas where uh, anxiety is very prevalent in our society right now in more ways than one. And I want to be really clear with you that I am not trying to address clinical anxiety this morning. That's That's a little different thing. I'm talking about the garden variety. Um, this is something that we have some familiarity with in our family. We have some clinical anxiety in our family. Uh, so I want to be really clear that's not what I'm talking about. And um, if you're experiencing uh, anxiety that is debilitating, that you, you cannot function, uh, if it's chronic, in other words, it's constant and ongoing, uh, if you're having physical symptoms such as heart palpitations or nausea, uh, if you're experiencing insomnia or depression, and especially if you have those two, the, the physical symptoms, uh, uh, heart palpitations, nausea with insomnia and depression, or especially if you're having thoughts of harming yourself or others, um, I want to encourage you to seek professional help with this. Uh, you can reach out to the pastoral care team. We have some folks we can suggest. Or uh, you can dial 211 on your phone, and those folks will give you some suggestions. Uh, this is really beyond what I'm going to be speaking about this morning, and it's important for you to seek professional help with that. And I also want to say, as, as somebody you know, who has this in their family system, sometimes when we are in those places where clinical anxiety is, is working in our lives, we, we get into a place of an emotional, mental spin, and we are unable to disengage from that, and, and we need our family members to speak into that and to say, this is not okay, this is not normal, uh, we need to get help with this, and uh, to kind of break that cycle for us because we can't do it on our own. So... Uh, I want to encourage you as an individual or as a family member to be aware of that uh, and to get help if you're in that place. Having said that, what I'm going to speak about this morning is more uh, what is normal for many of us right now, situational type of anxiety. Uh, And there seems to be an awful lot of that around right now. I mean, we've had this pandemic going on. Um, Nobody really, I think, expected at first that it would last more than a few months. Uh, except for a few people who were warning us about that. And now we're, the reality of it's kind of sinking in and we're, we're wondering what we're doing. I, I don't know about in your life, but it's really pretty much ended my life. Before the 9.30 service, uh, I was in the back uh, and we were getting ready to do it. And I was asking Sherry, well, are we doing this? And are we doing this? And she's going, Tom, you do this all the time. I mean, what the... And I said, yeah, but you know, the way I've done it for 38 years is not the way we're doing it now. So, so everything's different, and I'm const- it's like every morning is a whole new day in my life, and, uh, and I'm having to figure all that out, and sometimes I drop pieces of it in the process of doing that. So uh, there's a, a level of stress for all of us as we're having to figure out a totally new way of doing things, 
And now we have going back to school coming into the game, and uh, and, and bless you, parents and, and teachers and students. Um, we're doing something we've never done before. We have no idea what we're doing with this, and we're trying to figure it out as we go along. And uh, and if you're in our school district, at least uh, where we are, you know some of that didn't go real smoothly to start with. Uh, and so you know we're all trying to figure that out, and it's particularly difficult for uh, some of you who are thinking about how do we you know work from home and homeschool at home. Or if you've been asked to come back into the office, only to find out that now your, your children will be at home, and how, do you, how are you going to do this? I mean, there's so many questions around this. Uh, and then we have the election out here in a few months, which is adding a whole other layer. And emotionally, we are not distinct units. Emotionally, we are, we are a unity. Uh, and so all of our emotions run together. Our anxiety about one thing, and our anxiety about another, and our anxiety about another will all come together in one big kind of overwhelming uh, ball of emotion. So uh, a lot of you may be in that place right now. I've, I've heard it uh, as I've talked to people this week. I've seen it on people's faces. Uh, it, it really is something that we are, we are pretty much uh, you know, neck deep in at this point in time. That situational type anxiety is really kind of what I'm speaking to this morning. And I think a lot of us are in that place. So let's open with a word of prayer. O Lord, come and pour out your peace and your calmness upon us as we are in this time. Uh, Remind us who we are and who we belong to. Uh, Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, as, as Thomas said at the beginning of the service, there are some people in the room this morning who are testing procedures. So if you hear them, uh, that's who they are. Uh, and, and if you see me looking around once in a while, I'm, I'm just looking at them for a moment. Um, I want to start off by talking about the difference between fear and anxiety. And this is a little uh, diagram. Uh, it, it's pretty basic, but it'll help you kind of sort this out. Uh, fear uh, has a known origin. We know we're, what we're afraid of. It's definite. It's a definite thing to be afraid of. It's an external source. It's a threat from outside to us, and it's a, an alerting signal. We're, we're getting ready to engage and fight with whatever this is that's coming at us. It's non-conflictual in the sense that we are unified in our response to it. The conflict is an internal conflict. There's no, no internal conflict. We're unified that we need to be addressing this threat to us. Anxiety is unknown or vague. It has no definite uh, location or, or particular threat. It's indefinite. Uh, It's internal in origin. It has to do with our past experiences, our conditioning, uh, any past trauma we've had. Uh, It's an alarming signal. All of our all of our body is on edge, waiting for what this might be, Uh, and it's conflictual because it's internal. Uh, Parts of us inside are in conflict with other parts of us inside, and so uh, there's a little kind of difference. And for me, at least, the, the basic kind of piece that comes apart in that is that fear is, is focused. We know what we're afraid of. We know that, and we can respond to that. Whereas anxiety leads us in this place where we don't know what it is, and so we don't know how to respond to it. Things that can contribute to anxiety are stressful work, school, or personal relationships. And right now, a lot of us have at least work and school and some personal stuff in that we're fighting. And so we're, we're all kind of in that boat right there, right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, emotional trauma uh, that may have occurred in our past or is happening right now, Uh, financial stress. Uh, A lot of folks are uh, in that place where with this ongoing pandemic, that's beginning to impact them. 
a poorly defined future state. And as I said, we're, we're all doing this for the first time. We don't know what we're doing. We don't understand this. It, it's completely undefined. Some of us have chronic or serious medical conditions that are part of that. Uh, excessive alcohol or drug use, and, and I want you to hear that can include caffeine. Uh, that can be part of it. Uh, and poor general physical health. And in particular, if your poor health leads to a low level of oxygen in circulating in your system, uh, that tends to increase anxiety. So, so really simple things you can do to try to ease this uh, is regular exercise, uh, particularly exercise that uh, improves your aerobic uh, capabilities. A regular and adequate sleep routine. Now, I know that should sound simple, but if your house is like mine, it's not. Uh, especially when my wife was working from home, it was very easy for us in the evening to say, well, you know, we don't have to get up and be anywhere at a particular time in the morning, so we'll just stay up and we'll watch this show or read this book. And so our sleep routines, uh, it was very easy for them to get all out of shape and, and all over the map. And when we do that and we're not getting enough sleep, uh, our bodies don't have the chance to regenerate like they need to, and our minds are part of that. And so uh, we begin to uh, have some mental slippage along the way. Uh, when my wife went back and had to go back to the office here a week ago, it kind of helped us at least to, to be reinforcing that we need to be on a certain kind of schedule. It's very easy in this time to lose that, but it's very important because without an adequate sleep routine and and a regular sleep routine, uh, we become really mentally fuzzy and confused. Uh, a well-balanced diet. Uh, similarly, if you're at home all the time, it is really easy to snicky snack. Now, in our house, it is the Keebler Pecan Sandy cookies right now that are the, the problem. Uh, and, and I'm hoping I'm, I'm going to get some of the uh, H-E-B Creamy Creation Mango Ice Cream coming home. Uh, and I'm going to have to be disciplined with that because, you know, that, that's my weakness is ice cream. So, uh, but, but, you know, eating a poorly balanced diet can have all kinds of effects on us. Uh, reducing, eliminating alcohol and drug use, including caffeine. Um, when I used to work at night and I was going to school during the day, uh, caffeine was my friend. Uh, and, uh, but what I had to learn was that it's my friend only up to a certain point. And when I get caffeinated beyond that point, I get kind of weird. And people begin to look at you strange. And you begin to say things that you're going, why am I saying that? Why, why is that coming out of my mouth? Uh, so you, you have to learn where that limit is. Um, so uh, you may need to cut back on caffeine or reduce it completely. Uh, practice relaxation techniques, both physical and mental. Uh, that may be something like yoga or it might be something like meditation or a time of deep prayer uh, that allows you to physically and mentally relax. If you're like me, one of the things you might find is sometimes part of your exercise routine is part of your relaxation. Uh, for me, riding a bike, uh, when I ride it, is, is almost a meditative type of experience, which is why if you say to me sometime, hey, why don't you come ride with me? I'm going to say, no, I don't want to do that because then I'll have to talk to you. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I want to be, you know, this is just me on the bike getting into a rhythm and into a flow. Uh, and, and it becomes almost a meditative kind of experience for me. So you may find that's true whether you're a cyclist or a runner or a walker, uh, something like that that's a very, uh, has a certain rhythm to it. It may end up being your physical relaxa uh, relaxation technique. Uh, but each one of us is a little different, and you need to find what works for you. Uh, but engage in these. These are ways to, to bring our physical being uh, into a better shape of dealing with whatever stress we are facing and dealing with as we're going forward. 
Now, on top of that, there's other things that you can do that are mental, spiritual kinds of things uh, that I want to talk about that can help us be better prepared to deal with this anxious world uh, and reality that we're all living in. Uh, first is uh, learn to balance your thinking. Uh, anxiety oftentimes results uh, in us getting in kind of a, a mental spin uh, where we just kind of keep going round and round and round and, and, and we don't ever actually break out of that. And so balancing our thinking is, is one way to kind of control that. Paul wrote to uh, Timothy and he's writing to Timothy at a point in time, the second letter, when Timothy is uh, under attack uh, for his leadership and his faith. And he says, for this, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I mean, you have to understand when we become children of God and enter into this relationship with Christ, that the spirit gives us power and love and self-discipline. Which means if we're having trouble exercising it on our own, we can ask the Spirit of God to help us with that and bring that together. Uh, so bringing that into our lives allows us uh, to do some things to balance our thinking. One, remember, facts are our friends. Um, our imagination is always capable of conjuring up a worse picture than the reality is. And, and at least in myself, I can tell you that my imagination can go to a far darker place than what reality often warrants. Um, I've shared with you before that one of the places that my financial, my anxiety uh, rests on is finances. I was raised by parents that grew up, both grew up in very low income homes. And so as we were growing up, my sister and I, uh, they kind of passed that on to us that, you know, you need to worry because tomorrow you might not have any money and you might go hungry. I can tell you that's not been the way my life has gone. Uh, that's not been my experience. Uh, and the only times I've really been in a really tight bind have been uh, very exceptional kinds of circumstances and very short temporary things in my life. Uh, but nonetheless, that's kind of what was you know, uh, brought into my life and, and passed on to me from my parents. And when I get in those places where I begin to start spinning around those things, uh, it's really helpful for me to stop and to say, what's, what's the reality here? What really is going on? What, what really are the facts? And that helps me pull me out of that spin because I realize, no, no, it really isn't like that. And so if you have a particular area that you uh, tend to spin around and get stuck in, finding out what the facts are, what, what is the reality here? can help pull you back out of that spin and help you get your mind thinking properly again. The other thing is what's called stinking thinking, and those of you in recovery movements will be familiar with that language, which is kind of getting this place where you begin to think that the world is terrible and, and there's no, nothing to redeem it, or that you're terrible and there's nothing to redeem you. And so you need to go back and remember, Spirit of God gives us power and love and self-discipline. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that when we begin to think that the problem isn't something out there, but I'm the problem. We need to remember that I, I'm created in the image of God, and as a follower of God, I'm a child of God, and God's love rests upon us. Uh, and so we, we need to hold to that and claim that for ourselves uh, in the midst of that, instead of allowing ourselves to either sink into a spin or to sink into that dark hole of stinking thinking. Take charge of what you can and be at peace with what you cannot. Uh, learn the difference between the two of those. Uh, this passage where Jesus teaches and says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. Again, amen. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, earlier in my life when I was working uh, on people's cars and working as a mechanic, there was a very defined kind of process to that. You know, somebody would come to you and say, my car's doing this, that, or the other, or this isn't working right, and, you know, can you take a look at it? And so you, you figure out what's going on, you diagnose what the problem is, you figure out what it's going to take to fix that, you go to the owner and say, this is the problem, this is what's involved in fixing it, uh, this is what it will cost you for me to fix that. And, and then if the owner gives approval to that, you get the parts and you do the repair work, then you go out and you test to make sure everything works properly as it's supposed to. Uh, you return the vehicle to the owner and they pay you and you're done. Uh, so there's a very defined start and process and end to all of that. Uh, it's very clear and cut and dried. Uh, when I started ministry, what I discovered is ministry is not cut and dried and clear. There's no, there's no defined start and end to it. It's just kind of an ongoing thing that's always happening. Uh, even as I'm up here preaching uh, in front of you this morning, I'm aware that you know, in, a, in a week or two, I'm going to be back up here again doing this all over again. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. It doesn't ever get completed and all wrapped up nice and neat. When I first started doing this in 1982 and I, I came down and was working, uh, I would find that I would go to bed at night and I couldn't go to sleep because all these things were in my head. Well, you've still got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to follow up on this, and you've got to do this, and you do this. And, and I was afraid, you know, if I go to sleep, what if I go to sleep and I forget these things, and then tomorrow I won't get it done? And, and so I would lay there and just be, you know, spinning, and I found, okay, I, if I get a notepad and I keep it on the nightstand by the bed, uh, when I go to bed at night, I, I start making a list of all the things that are spinning in my head. Well, you've got to do this. You've got to call this person. You need to follow up on this. And once I erped it all out on the notepad so I wouldn't forget it, then I could go to sleep. Uh, now, now, many years later now, uh, I, I have a computer and a calendar and all those things, and I can put all this stuff in there, and, and it will remind me uh, of those things. So I don't necessarily have to have a notepad to keep it all on. And, and as I tell you, if, it, if it's not on my calendar, it just doesn't exist in my world. Uh, and, but, but, but it all goes in there so that I can remember that and that allows me to sleep. Uh, so I, I've kind of had to learn that way of doing that. Because the, the truth of the matter is, I, I can't change what happened yesterday. I can't act on what's going to happen tomorrow. I really can only deal with what I have today. And so I need to be able to find a way that I can deal with what I have today. I can remind myself what i got to do tomorrow. But I can entrust the future to God recognizing the blessing that God has given me in the past. Uh, Reinhold Niebuhr wrote a prayer, uh, part of which is uh, very familiar to many of us. Uh, and he's, uh, in this prayer, he says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You know, when you really get right down to it, all I can control is what I do and how I respond to the world around me. I can't control the world. All I can do is control how I respond to the world. And, and that frees you up to release trying to take responsibility for everything that's going on in the world and then entrust that into God's hand. Uh, that's a really important distinction for us, especially if you tend to be anxious, because if you're anxious and you're trying to take responsibility for the world, you are going to overload yourself tremendously. Uh, we need to be able to have the wisdom to know what can I do and what can I not do and what can I release into God's hands. Uh, 
Develop spiritual friendships. In Ecclesiastes, the, the, the prophet writes, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This idea that, that two are better than one, that when, you know, it's pretty self evident. You know, if, you, if you're out on your own doing the Lone Ranger thing, as we sometimes say, uh, and something happens to you, there's no one there to help you. It's one of the reasons when we do various ministry things, we'll, we'll ask people to pair up or go in threes so that if somebody gets in trouble, somebody's there to help them or somebody can keep an eye on things. Uh, it's the old buddy system for those of you uh, who've gone to camps where you had to have a buddy system to go swimming to make sure that someone's there if you get in trouble. Uh, it always works better when we have people around us. And, and for John Wesley, uh, in his uh, beginning of the Methodist movement, uh, he recognized the value of that and he would say, you know, the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. And he's not talking about social work or social justice. He's rather talking about fellowship, uh, particularly in small groups where people would come together. Because all of us in our life and in our walk of faith, we need people there to pick us up when we fall down. We need people to reinforce us. We think oftentimes about accountability groups as places where people can be brutally honest with us and tell us when we're doing things wrong. And, and there is that aspect to it. But those groups can also be there when you start to move into that kind of stinking thinking and when you begin to, to think that you are unredeemable or you begin to think that you are the problem. Those people can also be the ones who are there to say to you, no, 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 no. You're, you're a child of God. <laughs> you are of great value. You are fearfully, wonderfully made. God's love is resting on you. Sometimes we need those people to speak into us. And these are not things you can do at the last minute. These are, are friendships that you develop over a period of time. I have uh, folks that I've known since I was in middle school, literally, uh, who are old, old friends of mine who I know will be honest with me and I can speak to and, and, and talk to when things are difficult uh, because they've known me for decades uh, they know me better than just about anyone else does. And in the same way, my, my wife is, functions as one of those spiritual friends because uh, she's known me for over four decades. She knows me inside and out and, and can speak into my life with an authority that a few other people have. Uh, this was an idea, actually, this idea of, of spiritual friendships is something that Wesley pulled uh, in, into Methodism uh, from the Moravian movement, but it was also very strong in Celtic Christianity in Ireland. Uh, of having these people who would encourage you and lift you up and also hold you accountable. Uh, we need to have those people there, and especially when we are in anxious times and we begin to spin. We need to have people who can help us get out of that spin. But when we begin to go to a dark place, we need them there to lift us up and remind us who we are and who we belong to. Uh, so if, if you don't have those people, uh, Alpha or a Grow Group might be a great place to do that, or your Sunday school class. Uh, but, but develop those friendships that can sustain you and will be with you in the middle of this. Draw close to God. James reminds us, you know, it, it, come near to God and he will come near to you. God doesn't want to be distanced from us. God is simply waiting for us to be willing to draw near and he will be there with us. Paul in Philippians says, do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
Take everything to God in prayer. Now, one of the things I have to remember in that is sometimes when I'm in those places, it's easy for me to skip right to what I want from God without doing the thanksgiving. But it's important for me to remember that because I need to remember all the ways that God has already blessed me. So that when I bring that request, I'm bringing it out of that context and that perception, which helps me keep a proper perception on what I'm taking to God. Uh, the other thing I have to remember about this is no matter what it is, I can pray with God. I can pray. I can take that to God. I don't have to filter it. I don't have to hold back. I don't have to be worried about bothering God. God's big enough. God can handle it. No matter what it is, no matter what it is, I can take it and bring it to God and know that God will listen and receive it. There's no way I can come up with anything that is too great for God to handle, to bring and offer that to God. Now, I want to say this about this, you know, drawing close to God. Uh, this is not something uh, you just do at the last minute. This is something you cultivate, you develop uh, in your relationship with God. You need to be drawing near to God. You need to be having a life of prayer, a life of uh, meditation or with God and connecting with God that's in place and that's strong so that that relationship is strong. When we uh, first came out with personal computers and people were all buying personal computers, we were often advised, you know, if you're going to be away from home for a while, you know, like a couple of days or a week or something, uh, and you're going to be gone, uh, turn the computer off and unplug it before you go so that you don't have to worry about a surge damaging the computer. Now, those of you who took that advice know that when you came home then and you got ready to work and you plugged your computer in and you turned it on, you couldn't just start work, could you? No, you had to sit there while it burped and did all the stuff it does to reboot all the programs, and then it has to do all the downloads for all the updates, and then it has to install the updates. And so you're sitting there for 45 minutes waiting before your computer is usable. And even today, sometimes, you know, if your computer hasn't been used in a while and you've had it just turned off and you turn it on, and, and, and you just want to check something, what time is that movie, or what, where am I going, or what's this happening? You have to sit there and wait for it to finish doing all of its updates and all that kind of stuff and everything. And it's the same thing. If we don't keep our relationship with God up to date, sometimes when we try to reconnect with God, uh, there's a lot of updating. There's a lot of connecting that needs to be done. And we find ourselves not able to simply reconnect quickly. So draw close to God. Make that a part of your ongoing spiritual life. Because then when those anxious moments come, you will find that God is readily at hand. And as you try to draw near to God, you'll find that he's very near to you very quickly. Challenge your fears. Uh, in uh, Joshua, the beginning of Joshua, the people of Israel have come back to uh, the, the point of land overlooking the Jordan River, looking into the promised land. And, and God says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That kind of becomes Joshua's mantra through the book. And, and I know it sounds great and it sounds easy and most of us discover it's not that easy, but nonetheless it's a reality that God is with us wherever we go. In 1982 when I moved down to Austin, Texas, uh, I came to a first church to be on their staff and um, the first week I did hospital rounds, I went to Seton Hospital. Uh, these are the days when they would tell you more about what was going on with the patients and everything. I went to Seton Hospital and got my list of people to visit and, and went up and, and went to visit one of the members of that. And, and I walked into a room and there was nobody in that room. 
So I went back out to the nurse's station and I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm looking for Mrs. So-and-so. And the nurse said, oh, thank goodness you're here. I said, okay. And she says, well, you know, we, we just called a few minutes ago. And I said, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they said, well, Mrs. So-and-so just passed away and she's down there with all of her family in the room. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, when we go to seminary, we get training in theology, we get training in... I don't remember any training about what do you do when somebody has just died and their family's in the room and everybody's upset and you're walking in and you have never met these people before in your life. So I walked down the hall and I stood outside that door for a minute and I said, help, God help me because I have no idea what I'm doing here. And then I opened the door and I walked in. Um, they were very gracious. They received me very graciously. They were very uh, kind to me. And uh, we, we talked for a few minutes, and then I offered a prayer of thanksgiving for uh, their mother and wife. And um, then we kind of talked about going forward. They would need to contact the funeral home, and then we'd get back together and plan the funeral and so forth. And, and I left that room. I had, I, I had no idea if I'd, what I'd done was right or not. Uh, later on, they would come back and they said, oh, it was so wonderful that you were there when you were. It was a great comfort to us and so forth. And all I had to say on that was, well, okay, well, thank you, God. Because <laughs> I sure didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and I had no clue. And at the moment, walking into that room, it wasn't like God was whispering my, in my ear, do this, now do this or do that. It was just I knew that God was with me and, you know, I'm going to do the best I can and trust that God's with me and God's guiding me. And oftentimes that's the way it is. We, we just have to step into it. Uh, different ones of us will have different things that will be uh, our personal fear and our personal anxiety and will tend to, to make us particularly anxious. And so uh, we need to invite God with us into that and trust that God is with us. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Um, even if at the moment you're not entirely sure about that, uh, you need to hear this promise from God that God will be with you and face that. And one of the things Adam Hamilton in his book talked about was his uh, daughter who had a tremendous fear of heights, and so she decided to go skydiving to address that. Now, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, I'm not going to do that. I know Wynn has gone skydiving, uh, but, but I, I can't think of any reason to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Uh, so, you know, if it's going down, maybe, but otherwise I'm in the plane. But, but, but then again, fear of heights is not my big thing. Uh, so, you know, you may need to find out what it is and then invite God to be close to you. Remember, draw close to God. God will be close to you a, a, as you begin to face that fear and discover that m maybe it's not as frightening as you thought it was. And maybe God is with you even in those places. So I'm just going to kind of summarize through this. Uh, care for your physical well-being. Do the things you need to to be healthy and keep yourself uh, in, in good physical condition. Balance your thinking. Uh, know what the facts are. Don't drop into that thinking, thinking, and don't get in those spins. Take charge of what you can. Be at peace with what you cannot. Develop spiritual friendships, not only to hold you accountable, but to lift you up and support you. Draw close to God. Develop that relationship. Strengthen that relationship. And then challenge your fears, knowing that, that God is, is with you. 
Uh, in the book of Numbers, you remember a few weeks ago, we read the story where uh, Israel sent spies into the promised land, and when they came back, some of them said, oh, it's great, it's flowing with milk and honey, lots of produce and great places, and, and others said, oh, but there are great and fearful people, they're, they're, they're like giants, we're like grasshoppers beside them, they will surely destroy us, and, and so Israel wandered in the wilderness in fear for 40 years, kind of like that spin we get into, until finally... They come back to the place where they originally looked across the River Jordan. And Moses dies and is buried there. Joshua becomes the leader. And God speaks to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So my friends, in, in the middle of the craziness of the world we live in, remember, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I want to close using the full text of the serenity prayer from Reinhold Niebuhr. He uh, actually wrote and, and edited this several times, so there's a number of different versions, but this is the one... Uh, the version that's most widely used right now. So I want to invite you to be in prayer with me as I share this prayer from uh, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.